Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Business Excellence Podcast. My name is Rail Bricker coming to you from Perth, Western Australia. And with me as usual, my co-host, Lindsay Adams from Brisbane, Australia. Hello and welcome. And today we have a special guest joining us from the Netherlands, from Zwolle in the Netherlands, Paul Tewall. And Lindsay will introduce him more formally. As a special gift to all our listeners, pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com. That's excellencepodcast.com and download your free 48-page ebook called Building Excellence, Ideas to Help You on Your Journey to Creating Excellence in Your Business and Your Life. Well, hello, Paul, and welcome to the Business Excellence Podcast. Hi, Lindsay and Rail. Good to be here. Mate, you're known around the world as a global engagement explorer. I love this term. Uh, so I'm going to I'll give a few hints what that means in case our listeners are wondering. Um, you speak on employee engagement, so you consult in organisations, helping them to uh, create more engagement with their employees. Uh, you, you offer training and you speak at universities. So that's kind of the picture. Um, why is engagement? so important for business today? Yeah, well, I, I have a slogan and it says, happiness makes money. Oh. And I think that, that says it all because a lot of companies um, still work in the traditional way, the, the way Henry Ford started business. This is how you are going to do it and you have to do it and please perform and be productive. That's what a lot of management still says to their employees. What we notice that if people feel at home, feel comfortable, are engaged, then productivity rises. So instead of whipping people, we should encourage them to be happy because they are about 20% more productive. So I think it's wise to be nice to your people because productivity goes up and with that profitability, and that's what we all want. So, Paul, the Gartner surveys, um, I've looked at the 2020, 2019, 2020 is a bit confused because of the COVID, but 2019 they were talking of 46% of disengaged employees. 46%? Yeah. Is that what you said? 46? Yeah. 46% disengaged employees. Wow. Yeah. Well, if, if you look at Gallup, Gallup is a little bit more positive, um, and Gallup is doing that research for about 40 years. Uh, then you see in the whole world only 13% is fully engaged, 17% are fully disengaged. And I look always look at an old carriage. You have the ones who are up front, you are the ones who are behind, and you have a lot of people on the carriage. That's about 70%. And I think about that 70%, 20% wants to be engaged, are almost there. And I think 20 25%, are falling off, are disengaged and think, let's see what happens. So 
the only country or one of the few countries where engagement is higher than disengagement is the United States of America. The rest of the world, and especially countries like in Europe with great social security, engagement is lower. And that's silly because we need to have people that are creative, are innovative, that make new stuff up. And we don't because we think it's all right. And that's why countries like China, India are much more creative. They are engaged. They see opportunities. And it's nice to be in Europe and, well, not with COVID, of course, but hey, normally you can travel a lot. You can see a lot. And people are satisfied. And that's flattening the curve because we are satisfied. We're not engaged. No, we're satisfied. And you can hear the difference in the voice of a lot of employees. So, Paul, how do we get them to move from satisfied to engaged as you trade it? Well, for me, engagement is go to work with a lot of energy and go home with even more. That's engagement. So what you see a lot of people go with a little bit of energy to work and the whole day they are told what to do. So... What we say is people need an ABC, that's autonomy, belonging, and competences. That's what we need to work on. It's a simple ABC. And I added a P of purpose. I didn't understand. What I I see is that a lot of people aren't aware of that knowing the core values of yourself and the core values of the company determine whether you can be engaged or not. A lot of companies have their non-negotiables, as we say them. We have them have them on the intranet, on the website, but they're not communicated to their employees. And employees need to understand what the non-negotiables are and have to align with their own core values. If that's so, then we can work on engagement and happiness. Okay, and so and so culture and you and I have had discussions over the, you know, over time about how much of this is reflected in the culture and how much of the purpose is driven by the founders, the board, the chief executives. You know, ha- is it changing or has it changed? And and where does culture sit as this driver of happiness? I think culture is the outcome of how the purpose and, and the, the core values are implemented within an organization. Culture is, for me, this is the way we do things around here. This is how we talk about the company, about the clients, about products at the coffee machine. That's culture. So it's what we see as an outcome of how our values are accepted. So a lot of government organizations, there you see that people are satisfied. They are not really happy. They do their stuff and you feel it in the culture. They are not employee driven, so they're not customer driven. And and I think that's the culture is the outcome. And how important is the CEO? Oh, he is the number one making happiness and engagement work. 
That's the whole point. If they don't do the, their work, it's not going to happen. So it's just up to the CEO? No, it starts with the CEO. If he doesn't believe in engagement and happy employees, <clears throat> that they will help create more productivity, more products, then it's not going to work because then the normal employees will believe it. And I call them the professionals because they are really doing the jobs. And the whole CEO and the C team and, and all the staff, they should support the professionals in their work. And normally we see it's going top down. So the CEO at the top is saying to others what they need to do, but they're not listening to the employees. So for me, it's very important that we know exactly what professionals need. So we should ask them and who is going to ask that question? That's the CEO. And of course, then the next level of management. But they need to be supported by the CEO and the CFO, especially because it's about money. So, Paul, you know, there were business theories, and I have to hazard a guess the 30s or even the 40s when they came out, that's the last century we're talking about, about MBWA, management by walking around. Have the current leaders and CEOs forgotten about that? Um, yeah, look around you. Um, I was talking to a CHRO this morning, and, and he was saying, well, he works from home now, two days a week, and two days he is at the office. And he said, when I'm not aware of this, then I will be filled with meetings online the whole day. So he hasn't got any time to go out and talk to one of the employees, say, hey, how are you doing? And you know the are you okay approach in Australia. Well, I want to implement it in Europe as well because just asking that question, are you okay? And have genuine interest in what happens there instead of saying, yeah, that's private life. I don't want to hear about it. Then we can communicate online. So, yeah, you need to walk around, you need to talk to people, ask questions instead of telling them what to do. They are the, they are the professionals. If you don't believe that they are a professional, no, you, you hired the wrong person. They are the professionals. Whether they work in hospitals, in a shop, they are the professionals. They know their job. Ask them what they need to perform better, to feel happier, to feel engaged and that's about do you give them autonomy do they really belong to a team and are we training them the right competences for their job oh yeah and do they know the purpose of your business so that, what, what, that's for me the question what you're talking about here is really a new way of leadership maybe um well you know that i i don't like leadership uh, not for myself because I always say I can't be a leader but I think it's a new style of leadership we're used to the Anglo section the Anglo-American approach of leadership and this is what we call 
uh, the Rhineland or the Western European approach, but it's 150 years old. It started in the Prussian time in 1870. So it's old. It was the way that the Germans trained their armies, not by top down what they should do, but to be creative themselves. So they created autonomy within the cells. Is that nice to be compared with military? No, of course not. But it means that it's an old tradition, but we forgot about it when we started to work with structures in five and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you're right. You know, military is by the very nature, and I, we, I'm going to carry on that analogy. Military by its very nature has to create a system of command and control so people react in a certain way under pressure. And, and I understand that, and it has changed it. But what you just said now about the, you know, 150-year-old Prussian traditions, that's completely new. I didn't realize about how they differed from from my Anglo-Saxon, um, you know, Anglo-Australian, South African background? Well, I, I think that the, the point is that because it was Prussian, it was German, we didn't like it anymore after the First and the Second World, World War. So we listened to what the Americans were telling and they had quite a command structure. The Germans were used to work in small self and be multidisciplined. So they had different types of people working together within one style of soldiers. And it worked for a long time. Then the wrong people came in and then we forgot about it. And the last 20 years, you see it in, in Europe and especially Germany and the Netherlands that it, it's coming back. And we call it that's way the Rhine land, the river Rhine that comes from Switzerland, Germany, the Netherlands. And you see that people are looking in a different way to people that are their employees. It's, it's not the management style, it's leadership. I'm supporting you as a professional. And when you look that way, even in the shop, that you say the people that are selling the stuff in the shop, they are the professionals. They are the ones that connect with the customers. So if we support those professionals to be the best professional they can be, they will sell 20% more. And the same in hospitals and schools and whatever. If we train professionals to be the best professional, then we will be successful. But a lot of managers want to be out in the open and say, hey, I'm the boss. Well, it doesn't work anymore. People are becoming more and more independent. Paul, we've just had, you know, 12 months of a pandemic and and still raging in, you know, many places around the world. So people are working more from home. Teams are, you know, working in disparate locations now. Some Some individuals working in their home, others in small groups or whatever. I know it's been different, but how has that impacted engagement? Has, you know, productivity's gone up. We've already um, talked with many other people who said since COVID hit, people work from home, productivity's gone up. But has engagement risen with that productivity or pe are people less engaged, do you think, now that they're in these different locations? 
I, I think it differs per company. Uh, I, what you see, of course, that the A is fulfilled, autonomy. Yeah. People are much more independent in the work. So now yeah. a lot of managers see that people will do their work in a way that they never expected them to do because mm -hmm. they do it by themselves. The second one is the most important now. That's the belonging. Are you part of a team? Do you really feel connected to your team? And I think that B is still mm, not well taken care of. Competences is okay because now we work with computers and our company that made home offices and fulfilled all the dreams. So the A and the C is there. The B is now the most important. Right. Well, how do we how do we fix that? <laughs> Um, have great meetings. Um, I, I see a company in an IT company that they transform their offices completely into inspiration centers. So the only reason why you go to the office is to get inspiration. So they meet there at the coffee machine. They they change their offices into canteens so people can sit together, talk together. But it's all about inspiration. Not about working. Working you can do at home. And that's that's the different mindset. And of course, it doesn't work in shops and that kind of uh, stuff. But I think for a lot of offices, it, it will change and it will stay that way. And then we need to work in the long Well, I'm part of a group that every Friday afternoon at 5 p.m. we meet, have a drink and say, thank you. It was a nice week and we will meet next week. Uh, so we can create it. It's it's simple. And don't forget to buy Dutch flowers and send it to your employees, of course. <laughs> well, well, I was going to say, one of the companies that I was doing some work with, and, and as soon as they sent everyone home, they didn't have a culture in their organization of company T-shirts. But the first thing they did was had T-shirts made and sent to all the staff at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and encourage them that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, they wore those T-shirts when they were on their company Zoom calls, so they were all identifying with something different. Exactly. I, I think one of the big issues was that uh, in the first couple of months, we forgot about how to dress in front of the camera. <laughs> and, and if you have a t-shirt, whatever, then, then it makes you part of a team. And if I see my colleague and he's wearing the same t-shirt, it, it will work. But it's, it has to be believed. I need to believe that the company means it in a positive way to support me to be part of the team. And so, yeah. Do you, do you think it's the little things that matter sometimes rather than the big things? Absolutely. It's Normally, we said it's the tap on the shoulder. And now we need to do it virtually. So if you have a birthday or your partner has a birthday, send a card, send some flowers, send some chocolate, be creative. If you can't meet, organize something and don't do it with Eastern or that kind of days, do it somewhere in between as a surprise. You get a package with a bottle of wine and some cheese or whatever. It Make it a surprise and say, thank you for your support. It's great to have you in the team. 
that's it. And if I sense that you really mean it, my engagement will go up. And with that engagement, sick leave goes down, productivity goes up, um, failures go down with 40%, and that's nice as well. So, so, Paul, you've been quoted by lots of people, including you to me and Lindsay and others, that happiness makes money. You know, how does that translate? Because, you know, most people think that when they've got money, they're happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a long time, research was in a way that work hard, work for had the, the 10,000 hour rule. We, we all know it as speakers. When you work hard, you will be successful and you will earn money. Well, now it's proven by Harvard that it's the other way around. It's still work hard, be happy, and you will be successful. So you need to look in a different way to energy. It's about energy. If I have a lot of energy, I can work harder and better, and I will be successful. So I, I think... It's about happiness first, and the money will come. We talk about we, we talk about showing up as your authentic self, you know, yeah. and that's and that's what it's about. It's about being your authentic self all the time. Yeah, and well, I I think we use it too often, and then it becomes a buzzword again. Uh, so I I'm always a little bit scary to to use that word, but. What I see is a lot of companies were, were only focused on, on customers. So it was CX, customer experience. It's all about customer. Now you see more and more that we say, well, it's the employee that connects with the customer. So we need to have the EX first, employee experience. And the, the biggest example is Zappos in the US, uh, part of Amazon selling shoes. Um, and they worked so hard on employee engagement that they now have a company called Delivering Happiness. And they're doing consulting all over the world, selling happiness. Because they know now that if we have more engaged employees, that productivity and sales will go up. So I need, I think the CEO needs to be authentic. He needs to be his real him or her. I hope a her because they believe it. And then show it to the rest of the company. And core values and non-negotiable come from the bottom, not from the top. So if we all believe what we stand for, then we can work the way we should. Okay, Paul Tavall, Global Engagement Explorer. We are going to wrap it up there. That's been a really interesting discussion. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm going to pass you back to Rail to close off the meeting. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. And a thank you to my co-host, Lindsay Adams. My name is Rail Bricker. And just a reminder for our listeners to pop along to www.excellencepodcast.com and there are a number of downloadable resources for free to help you on your journey to excellence in both business and in life.